This is the Black and Blue Report presented by ABC Insurance Agencies. A better choice for insurance. Now from Studio B or wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be, here's Daniel Sellerson. What's going on? Welcome into a special edition of the Black and Blue Report, NBA Draft Edition. I'm Daniel Salerson here in Studio B with Pelicans.com writer Jim Eichenhofer. Happy draft day to everyone. It's finally here. And boy, these last couple of days have been uh, interesting, to say the least, around the NBA with some trades happening, rumors already starting before free agency hits, and who knows what's going to happen tonight at the NBA Draft in Brooklyn. Hello, Jim. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Daniel. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Have you been uh, trying to track all these trades like I have on Twitter? I'm I'm starting to lose track, and it's hard to keep up right now. It's been a it's been a crazy last few days. I mean, the off season is off to an incredible start. If draft night is as wild as the beginning of the off season has been, and then going into free agency, this is going to be a fun, a very fun next month or two. Have you ever seen so much activity before uh, an NBA draft has started? Because some of these trades do involve picks uh, on draft night. I don't know if I have. I mean, between some of the some of the trades that were unexpected, between some of the front office moves like Cleveland and their GM parting ways, that just stuff that just seemed like it came out of nowhere. I'm not sure if there has been a lead up to the draft that's been this um, interesting. Usually, it's very quiet until maybe draft night itself. There's a a trade or two and people get excited about that but it seems like there's already been as much activity in the last few days as there usually is like just on draft night well let's focus on the pelicans a little bit then we'll kind of get into the national perspective on things we'll also get uh joel myers take on the nba draft he'll join us in just a little bit but the pelicans no first round selection the 10th selection goes to the sacramento kings in the demarcus cousins trade so let's pretend that demarcus cousins was our first round pick and i say at pick number 10 that's a pretty darn good one, but the Pelicans do have a second-round pick, pick number 40 tonight. And, uh, Jim, so I know we don't have a first-round pick, but uh, pick number 40 is in the cards for New Orleans, and I know there's been a lot of uh, mock drafts out there. So many different players, and the Pelicans can go so many different ways with this pick. Sure. I mean, there's really nothing close to – I mean, I don't, I don't think many years there would be a consensus on, you know, who's going to go at the 40th pick, but – in some ways, I think it's it's encouraging that there's so many different names that you see mentioned in either at 40 or in the vicinity of 40, where you're, whether you're talking, you know, say th- anywhere from 35 to 45, you see so many different names. Um, just from the standpoint of, I don't know, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be the first to admit that neither of us are draft ex- experts, but nope. I don't know if there's a huge difference in a lot of people's minds between a guy that gets picked, say, in the mid to late 20s and somebody that could still be there at 40 with the Pelicans. So, I mean, if you look at it that way, I mean, I, I don't think it's like, of course, you, you, you're more interested in the draft when you're, you have a pick that's high. Your first pick is much higher than 40. But at the same time, I mean, I think maybe that there's a possibility they could get somebody that, that can help and somebody that would re, be regarded on a lot of other teams' draft boards or even yours as maybe somebody that you thought was right, rated in maybe the 20 somewhere. I think it's safe to say that a lot of teams in the first round go for a positional need when it comes to selecting talent in that first round. I know some teams like to go to the best available route just depending on who's out there when they select, but with pick number 40, I feel like 
uh, Jim, do you see the Pelicans maybe going that best available just or maybe someone that they have their eye on that sneaks to them at number 40? Uh, how do you evaluate where the Pelicans go from here as far as picking at that spot? It's hard to say to me of whether you go for need or if you go for best player available. One thing that's interesting about the Pelicans, uh, this is not, not exactly breaking news, is that you know they're in good shape at two of the positions that are the hardest to fill with you know center and power forward with having two all stars in the big spots. So, um, but I think they uh, it's it's one of those situations where when you're picking at forty, I think you're optimistic and you're hopeful that you can find somebody like Malcolm Brogdon was I think he went thirty six to Milwaukee. You hope you can find somebody regardless of position that is a is a role player that can come in and, and contribute right away. But I think at the you're also realistic to know that it might you might not necessarily be able to get that. You might get a guy that is more of a project or somebody that maybe might not make a huge impact as a rookie like Shek Diallo last year here. But um you, you know it's it's an interesting spot in the draft because there are a lot of different directions you can go and there's a lot of decision making that you have to that goes into it as far as short term versus long term and also regardless of who you pick you you know you have to be realistic about what your expectations are when you when you get a guy in that spot that was what my next question was going to be what are the expectations because we remember uh, we heard Dell Dems and Alvin Gentry I think Alvin Gentry told you in your Q&A with him a few weeks ago about this might be a project player with pick number 40. You're not necessarily going to get a guy that's going to play right away, but if you look at it from the Czech Diallo standpoint, the Pelicans used pick number 39 and 40 last year to trade and get Diallo at pick number 33, a guy that a lot of teams had as first-round talent, get him in that second round, and we saw how well Czech Diallo played in limited minutes on the floor in the NBA, but also how well he played in the D-League, so you could find another one like that tonight. I think... The, the the way you, the direction you go in terms of expectations of what player you get is determined completely by his background. If you get somebody like Sheck is one of the most inexperienced players that you could possibly draft because of the the circumstances around his eligibility that was really no fault of his own at Kansas. He he got a late start to the season, didn't play a ton of minutes. He was on one of the best teams in the country. That that situation doesn't come up very often, but when you get a guy with that background you have to kind of tamp down expectations and realize that it's going to be a maybe a longer process as far as getting him ready to play NBA minutes you might on the other hand you might get a guy a four-year player who has a ton of experience and has been on played deep in the NCAA tournament has been in a bunch of big situations um I think Brogdon was like that for Milwaukee where they they drafted him I'm sure they were excited they probably didn't expect him to be maybe necessarily as good as he was or make as big of an impact but when you take a guy like that who's has the experience he did and has been in so many big moments, you it's easier for you to say, okay, you might not say this publicly, but you can say internally, like, hey, we think this guy can really make a difference right off the bat, even though he was a second-round pick. Yeah, for sure. And looking at some notable picks at number 40, you had uh, Josh Richardson in 2015, who's turned out to be a nice piece for the Miami Heat, Glenn Robinson III, Will Barton in 2012, you had Lance Stevenson in 2010, Monte Ellis in 2005, and can't forget about George Gervin, the Iceman, back in 1974, probably the best pick at number 40. So there are some diamonds in the rough there at 40, and, and who knows what can happen. But, uh, Jim, I want to focus now on some of the, the national headlines right now, and there's teams that are 
Stocking up some draft picks right now. You have the Lakers with three picks, uh, number two, uh, number 28, and number, I think, 27 or 29. I can't remember uh, right off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. They acquired the last one uh, yesterday in exchange for uh, D'Angelo Russell, um, Tim Faye, Mozgov. Both of them go to Brooklyn. Uh, Brooke Lopez comes to the Lakers. So uh, what are some of the storylines leading into the draft that you want to keep an eye out on, not just for the Pelicans, but maybe some of the teams around the league? I mean, there's – it's so complicated and so interesting on a lot of levels because of some of the names that people are talking about that could change teams through a trade. So I think that's part of, it seems like that's part of what the Lakers are doing as far as trying to get a bunch of packet, maybe package a bunch of first round picks together. Um, so that, that's something definitely to watch. Um, I feel like as the draft has gotten closer, we're starting to see a little bit more of a consensus on what the first few picks are going to be. But after that, I think it's it's pretty um, pretty up in the air, and it'll be interesting to watch. Um, from the Pelicans' perspective, um, Dallas is picking in the top ten. I, I'd have to go back and look at this, but, I mean, it's been a long time since any other team in the, this division has picked high. So it, it's funny. The, the Southwest division really hasn't there, – there's been almost no impact from the draft over the last few years because not only have some of the teams always – picked in the late 20s but the, you know the pelicans haven't had a first round pick a lot of years so um that's one one thing that i'll be interested to watch is you know from just directly related to the pelicans is is what dallas does in the picking in the i think they have the ninth pick and um some of the other teams in the west you got to keep an eye on as far as you know minnesota sacramento some of the teams that were behind that finished behind the pelicans in the standings last year have opportunities to add somebody that could really help them, you know, right, right off the bat, especially Sacramento's picking fifth and 10th. So, you know, those are, those are probably some of the biggest things I'll be watching is to see what some of these other teams in the West do. With the salary cap going up and you're seeing a lot of uh, loaded contracts, some guys that are getting paid a lot of money. Um, we saw Timothy Mozgov get unloaded um, as part of that deal with the uh, Brooklyn Nets. Are these draft picks nowadays a little bit more valuable valuable than, say, in the past because of the rookie scale? really hasn't changed that much with the salary cap going up, so a lot of these teams are looking at some of these guys as cheap contracts, but also with some upside being first-round talent. I think so, and I think one of the things that you saw happen already last year was you have teams that have a lot more flexibility with their second-round picks to even give guaranteed contracts or multi-year deals, not for huge money, but I think probably for more than the average second round pick has been getting over the last, you know, 10, 20 years. So I do think that the philosophy is, has changed a little bit. You also saw, used to see a lot more of, and it, it's still early. This is only the second year since the new CBA kicked in, but um, I think you used to see a lot more teams are having urgency to trade out of the end of the first round. But um, now I don't think there will be as much, of a of a scramble to say we can't have the 27th pick or the 28th pick we need to do whatever we can, can to get rid of this also i don't know how much of an impact this is going to have and it remains to be seen a little bit because it hasn't even been instituted but to me with the extra two um roster spots that you're going to have in, with the g league not the d league anymore mm -hmm. as of yesterday or as of the, earlier this week um i wonder how much that's going to affect teams too as far as there could be less of a of a of a desire to trade picks because 
you're going to have an extra two roster spots, you know, with the, the new setup, the way it will be put in place. With that being said, though, does that mean we'll see more value in a second round pick too? Because you're, you might see a lot more second round picks actually stay with the team. I know since most of these contracts aren't guaranteed, a lot of them are just, well, we'll see what he does. And then worst case scenario, we just wave him or whatever. Sure. But now with the G League coming in, you're adding those two roster spots that you might see a lot more teams acquire more second round picks just to maybe take that 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 low risk. I think it could. I think it'll be theoretically it'll that'll it'll make more of an impact on the early part of the second round of the draft than necessarily the latter part. It seems like going forward the maybe 45 through 60 you're still going to see a lot of guys that are drafted with the the both parties, the team and the player knowing that they're going to stay overseas for a couple years or like you said guys that are picked in that part of the draft where teams are, are saying, we don't even know for sure if he's going to make the team, but we'll take him. Um, so I, but I do think the, the early part of the second round teams, instead of looking at, at a lot of those guys as purely second round guys that, you know, may or may not um, make an impact. I think you're going to see guys picked in the early part of the second round that will definitively have a place in with their franchise, you know, I don't want to say long-term, but at least for a year or two, I think you'll see most of the guys that are picked in that part of the draft will stick instead of you know just being waived before the regular season starts. While we're talking about the G League, since we're on the subject, and we're heading in the direction that every team is going to have their own G League team, the Pelicans will get one, um, not this year, but the next year. I believe uh, the Pelicans are one of four teams that still don't have one just yet. There might be a few more, but... We're getting to a point where almost every team has one. Do you think we see the NBA add another round to the draft when you're going to basically have now a minor league system like you do in baseball? Do you see in the future maybe adding another round in the draft, or do you feel like they'll stay the same no matter what? I mean, I think it's a possibility. I don't know what it, what the pushback would be to adding another round. I know it seems like from the Players Association side, they were happy when going way back when they made the decision to cut it down to two rounds because that's fewer guys that are drafted and you know can maybe take someone else's job. But I think now with the rosters expanding to 17 instead of 15 um, and having those two-way contracts, I do th- I don't think there would be that much of a of much resistance to the idea of say let's have a third round of the draft. So and and I think. It's getting to the point where the NBA is getting – I think we can all agree the NBA is getting more and more popular all the time, and it's making not just you know in the U- U.S. but also across the world. You might have, you might get more viewership from the draft. I know a lot of people do click off when you get into the second round, but there's also a lot of avid diehard fans that I think would, would like it if it was three rounds to just add another 30 players that would be getting picked and it would add more interest in a lot of – you know from a lot of college basketball fans, for example. Um, I know the one and done is still a subject um, around NCAA and the NBA as far as guys entering the NBA draft. I know the G League maybe, I don't think changes as much as far as one and dones because you're not going to see guys leave to be potentially a second or third round pick if they add one. But how do you think this one and done has been working out for the NBA, for the NCAA? I know there's a lot of talk about it, whether they need to change it or not. You know, some teams in the NCAA don't like it. Some people in the NBA think the players need to wait a little bit more. But if you look at this draft, a lot of these guys that are projected to be 
top five, top ten picks are freshmen and only played one year. Um, what are your thoughts on the one and done? Do you think there's going to be any changes? I think the one and done has been an improvement from being able to come out of high school for the NBA in terms of now you always at least have one year to scout a guy against legitimate competition instead of being able to sit there and say, okay, well, he played against high school players and he dominated, but what does that mean? There's thousands of high school leagues and thousands of different um, levels of competition that you have to assess of what, you know, if a guy averages 30 points in a game in high school, what does that even mean? Right. So, but I, I do think a lot of people are in agreement that it's been bad for the college game just because you have so many guys that are just passing through for one year and they may attend classes for a semester. So I think it's been the one and done, the 19-year-old the age minimum has been good for the NBA in terms of scouting but bad for college. Um, I think if it was 20, I think that would be another improvement if the age minimum was that so that you'd have two years to, to evaluate guys. I think some of the misses that have happened in the draft have been on players who either um, had a fluky good freshman year or didn't produce a ton, but everyone was trying to project how good they were going to be. Like, say there's a guy coming out of the draft who averaged 10 points a game and four rebounds, but people, as a freshman, he comes out for the NBA draft, but and the scouts are like, yeah, you know, he, but he has so much upside, and then it never pans out because you didn't really – partly because you didn't get to see a big enough body of work from the guy in college. So to me, I, I would like, I would be fine with them upping it to 20 and that I think it would benefit the NBA and college because college, instead of having it be one, you know, like a guy just passing through. And like I said, taking classes for a semester, you'd see people be there at least for two years. And I think even though, you know, that's not maybe a massive difference. I think it would, it would help a lot in terms of college programs being able to have a little bit more stability from year to year. How do you differentiate? We had this debate last year, I think, when a lot of people or a lot of draft mock drafts suggested that the Pelicans were going to take Buddy Heald the whole. Um, taking a guy four years in college, you kind of see what he, how he progressed from freshman year to senior year and what his upside is compared to a guy that just only played one year that you really didn't see. You can't see his growth, but you do see his potential. Are you seeing teams... Think about that when drafting a player, say, in the first round, that do we take that guy that's proven from year one to year four in college that he has grown, but maybe you don't see as much upside when he gets to the NBA, like he's hit his ceiling? Or do you go that, well, this guy shows a lot of potential, but we really haven't seen too much from him since he only played one year in college? I mean, I think there are teams that subscribe to either a, a lot to that theory or a little to that theory that... um it's better to take a guy who's 19 because he has much, a lot more room to improve than somebody that's um, 22 and played four years in college. But on the other hand, kind of along the same lines of what I talked about in the previous thing that we discussed, you when you when a guy's played four years of college, you have so much more of a of a sample of what he's done. And there are plenty of guys. If you if you went back and looked, I know people don't really think about this that much. There's a lot of guys who were really good as freshmen. People were telling them, you know, maybe you should come out, maybe you should stay in college. They went back to college. They came back for their second year and their stock dropped. So you could say, I guess part of what I'm saying is it's not always a natural progression in terms of that. Your opinion of a guy is it's not your, your opinion of a guy isn't always better after his sophomore year 
than his freshman year. Sometimes your opinion gets worse because you've seen him play more and you've seen him, you know, for whatever reason, they only play, for for example, they only play 30-something games in college. You can have a hot streak and have for over, like, say, eight or ten games in college as a freshman and your stats look great, then come back the next year, not shoot threes as well, not rebound as well, you know, whatever the, the category is. The longer you're in college, the more your weaknesses get exposed. And if you can play four years and you show year in and year out over that long of a period that you're very productive like Buddy Heald was, to me that's a lot more of of a of a case and evidence that you're not a risk of taking than a guy who has a really good freshman year, but you don't know what he's going to do when he comes back for his sophomore year because he leaves college after one year. All of a sudden you have him on your NBA team. So, I mean – it's it's an interesting um it's definitely an interesting discussion and an interesting um situation and another reason why it make why drafting is not a exact science and it can be so difficult sometimes no doubt before we get to Joel Myers I do want to leave with one more question when we talk about where the game is headed right now and I think it's safe to say that the three point shooting is where the league is heading just looking at the Golden State yep. Warriors and a lot of the big men now are going farther and farther out. DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis are examples for the Pelicans. Is the traditional big man when trying to draft one? How does that dynamic change when now you're drafting players? Are you seeing teams, or you think we're going to see teams now look at purely drafting a bunch of shooters and guys that can shoot the three, or do you still see the hope that maybe a traditional big man can get drafted in the first round? I think, simply put, the biggest reason why the traditional big man isn't being taken as much in the draft or isn't as as much of a topic is because they don't exist a lot of times there's so few guys that now that play back to the basket everybody wants to face up um but and the other factor to me that I, I don't think a lot of people have really talked about that much partly because it's it changes every year and it gets more drastic um it's it's getting harder and harder for big guys who can't move their feet to be on the floor defensively it used to be because there's so much spacing and there's so much three-point shooting, it used to be that a lot of your your maybe your seven-footers who aren't that quick, you you knew you weren't going to get a lot of, out of them offensively, but they were worth playing 25, 30 minutes a game because of what they bring defensively. Now a lot of those guys can't be on the floor defensively either because they have to cover so much ground because they're running out to the three-point line to, to, to cover three-point shooters. You have to switch. Even if it's not the guy you're guarding, you might have to switch on somebody else that can shoot threes. So it's it's just getting harder and harder. I know a lot of people have talked about Dwight Howard in the last couple of days because he was traded, and it's amazing how many teams he's played on over the last few years. He's a he's a good example of of um, the kind of player. Um, another guy, Roy Hibbert, that we've talked about before. Like during the season, we talked about him on the post game radio show. Guys like that, it's hard to put them on the floor because not only are they not necessarily a net positive offensively, especially somebody like Hibbert, but defensively it's getting harder and harder to justify putting them on the court because the impact of three-point shooting has made it so much more important that you have guys that can move their feet and guys that are athletic than it does necessarily to have somebody who can just be an anchor in the paint, block shots, and intimidate because you just you're not seeing that as much. You're not seeing as many guys just play with their back to the basket or go to the basket, drive to the basket. There's so much more reliance on perimeter shooting and you need defensive guys that can switch, move their feet, rotate. And so that to me that's changing the entire um 
need and perspective that the NBA has on big guys and traditional big guys. And joining us now is the television voice of the New Orleans Pelicans. You can also catch him on Sirius XM NBA radio, Joel Myers. Joel, happy draft day to you, sir. I love it. It's a, it's a fun time for all of us, Daniel and Jim, because it changes the lives of so many young men. And then as you watch them on draft night and they're in that room and then all of a sudden their name is announced and their families and the celebration it's an exciting time. It's a fun time for all of us. Absolutely, especially, Joel, with all these trades happening before the draft and potentially tonight, um, the level of excitement, I, I feel like, is a lot more this year just because of the flurry of, of activity, don't you think? Well, there's going to be a lot more. I think we've just seen a little bit, and there's going to be more trades on draft night. And, and you look at teams like Portland, can they really – they've got three first-round picks. Can they afford three first-round picks? And they've already got the second-highest salaried payroll in the NBA. So there are going to be more trades. I, and, and we may see trades early in the draft because of so much speculation regarding Jimmy Butler and then putting out the Porzingis story, although I don't think he's going to be moved by the Knicks. But there are still a lot more to come. Joel, do you remember a year going back to, I don't know, 10, 20 years with, with how much you've um, – covered the draft and talked about the draft on your show and that kind of thing. Do you remember a year that's been like this before? Or is this kind of unprecedented in terms of in the days leading up to the draft, just how much activity there's been? And it seems like a situation where you have to check the news every 15 minutes because something else is going on. Yeah, everything has changed completely, Jim. I remember uh, when Nicholas Skidishvili was taken in one of the first few picks in the draft. And, mm -hmm. and that year, the Euros, and that was the trend at the time. We're talking about 15, 20 years ago yeah. when a lot of European players were taken and everybody was betting on these guys are going to be the next second coming of. Mm -hmm. Well, now all of a sudden, oh, there's Euros like Laurie Markkinen from one year at Arizona and a couple of other Euros that played college basketball in the States. But now it has shifted to there's more Americans being selected than Euros. So we've gone there. And also the immediate gratification that I want – somebody that is going to help me win right now. I mean, how often do we see, and this is how bizarre the times are, a GM that has taken a team and helped a team. Now, granted, he's got LeBron James, but he's gone to three straight finals, won a title for a city, first time they've had a title of any kind in 52 years, and he's out of a job. And not only is he out of a job, but he's out of a job after all the other jobs are taken, where he could have talked to Milwaukee, Orlando. We go down the list of available jobs that he had to pass on and he was not allowed to talk to. So these are strange days, but it goes with, I've got to win right now and, and I've got to appease, uh, well, not necessarily ownership because ownership had a lot to do with what went on in Cleveland, but uh, they, it's changed. Everything has changed. We've never, ever seen anything like this. And the immediate gratification has got a lot to do with it. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. It seems like we've seen that with coaching as well. There was a offseason maybe two three years ago where there were multiple guys who led their team to the best record in franchise history or the best record in the last you know 20 30 years and they changed jobs so it's it's an interesting point of of how things have changed it it seems like there's well, you're, not you're a lot of stability two years ago we had it was either 10 or 11 head coaches changed mm -hmm. in the nba and even go back a couple of years before that because the coach and front office didn't see eye to eye, and the coach led them to a 38-3 home record, and a past coach of the year in the NBA, and George Carl was let go. Yeah. After taking the team to the playoffs, 
Now, they did have a first-round exit, and that was the problem, uh, but they decided to move on, even though they had a very successful run together. So uh, it, it, these are really interesting times. The numbers, economics, are greater than ever, and that has a lot to do with it. Joel, let's talk about the Pelicans at pick number 40. No first-round pick that went to the Kings in exchange for DeMarcus Cousins. Um, a lot of people are saying how deep this draft is as far as first-round talent, or at least in the top 10. But what about pick number 40? Is there a chance that the Pelicans are able to get someone that, you know, maybe not impactful right away, but someone that you could see down the road here for New Orleans? Well, all I do is look back at last year. Malcolm Brogdon was taken 36th overall. He was a five-year player at the University of Virginia, and all ACC defensive selection as well. And we know what kind of impact he had on the Milwaukee Bucks, one of the top two rookies. Now, granted, it was not a great rookie class, but still, and yet a lot of injuries, Brogdon was exceptional for what Milwaukee needed. So to that extent, yes, there are players out there that could either start for an NBA team or be a solid rotational player for an NBA team in the first eight or nine. Uh, and the, the Pels can't find them. And then you also want to look, Daniel, at a guy that has played significant time in college basketball. And I got a list of guys that have played three or four years of college basketball that are going to be right there between 35 and 45. And the Pels, of course, pick 40th overall. So they can find a guard. They can potentially find a shooter. They need help in that area. There's no question. They've got two generational bigs, top 15, 20 players. And Anthony Davis, of course, top five, top 10 player in the NBA right now. So they need a shooter, they need a spacer, they need a ball handler. Those are the priorities, a shooter and a backcourt guy. I was about to say that brought me to my next question of what type of guy the Pelicans might go for. So you mentioned the three- or four-year guy. Why would that be the best benefit for the Pelicans as far as getting a guy that has some experience in college basketball, not a guy that only played one year? Well, I'm kind of playing off their mindset last year when it was either going to be Buddy Heald or Jamal Murray, and they went with the 22-year-old, not the 19-year-old. They went to Buddy Heald because he had more reps at Oklahoma. They didn't go to Murray, who had a phenomenal rookie season and really finished well for the Denver Nuggets, and even on the last day of the season with 27 on 10 of 17. So I'm, I'm kind of playing off of what their, their mindset might be again, that they want a guy that could potentially plug in to help them right now. Hey, Chef Diallo at 33 overall last year should be able to jump into the top eight or nine this year and get some minutes for the Pels, help them, at the forward position, a real good athlete. So uh, I look at basically if he's going to be in the backcourt, they want a guy that's going to have a lot of reps, that's been there, done that, at least at a high level at a really good college program. And there are a couple of guards without naming names that are going to be available then. You know, it's funny, Joel. If you look at you know some of the mock drafts, I was looking at one of the mock drafts where 14 of the top 16 guys that were listed were players that only played one year in college. So – you know, you're talking about the one and duns. The, the one thing I, I was thinking about, and I was wondering what your your thoughts on this were, was in a, an environment the way it is now where you have so many of these guys that are one and duns that their stock goes way up and people look at their upside and that kind of thing, does it seem like it kind of creates a situation where there could be more instances like there were there was with Malcolm Brogdon where a lot of these guys that have been in college for three or four years, they kind of get pushed down the draft board. So you might end up with – um, guys in the 30s or 40s that are really good players, but because they stayed, I mean, part, not entirely, but partly because they stayed in college for, you know, three, four years, a lot of times they get dissected a little bit more. And, you know, you might you might be in a situation where you have a better chance to get, 
some of those veteran guys that can help you just based on the way the draft has been going where there's so many 19-year-olds that come out in the draft and end up getting picked in the first half yeah, of the so first often, round. So often, Jim, as you point out, uh, the 19-year-old, the teams that are in those positions, in those lottery positions, they're willing to gamble. Yeah, They're willing to take a chance on a 19-year-old. Uh, what do I have to lose? I'm, I'm betting on the future anyway, and I'll watch him develop, and I'll invest in him. Whereas the teams that are not picking in the top 10 or top 14, and the Pels would have been 10th uh, this year, uh, but it goes to Sacramento in the DeMarcus Cousins deal. Uh, they're looking at a guy that, hey, if he's, if he's there at 35 or 40 and the Pels pick 40, uh, I'd rather have a guy that has the experience. Because I don't know if I want to gamble on a guy uh, that is going to have very few reps, doesn't have a lot of experience, where I need someone in my position right now, and we don't know the landscape of free agency as well going into the draft, but I, I need somebody that got a little moxie to him. He's got enough reps at the college level and at a major college program. So the, I think that's the mindset more and more of the lottery that uh, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to shoot for the stars. Whereas your mindset of you're in the 30s up to 40, 45, well, is there a guy out there that may be at the back end of the rotation but may be able to give me some minutes? I, I think that's the mindset. That's Joel Myers, television voice of the New Orleans Pelicans. You can also catch him on Sirius XM NBA Radio. Joel, as always, I appreciate the time and enjoy the draft tonight, and then I'm sure you're about to head out in the golf course as well. Why not? Thanks, guys. Good stuff from Joel Myers, as always. NBA draft tonight. ESPN's coverage begins at 6. First pick around 6.35. And if we're going uh, on how the draft went last year, five minutes for the first round, two minutes in the second round. Last year, the 40th pick happened around 9.53 p.m. Central Time. So that's when you can look out for the Pelicans. If you don't want to watch most of the draft and just tune into the Pelicans part, you can. I know Jim will be here ready to go, and we'll have some recaps for us, and we'll be tweeting a bunch of stuff going on. And Jim, uh, again, it's supposed to be – I think this is going to be in a very a very exciting draft just because with all the trade rumors going around and teams – hustling and bustling there it should be fun it should and and i think for a lot of teams including probably this one it's it's kind of nice to completely turn the page on last season and it, this is in some ways is the opening of of 2017 2018 so yeah um i think a lot of people are looking forward to it it's it's been a interesting stretch of the offseason already even going into the draft so looking forward to it looking forward to um you know if it having the 40th pick and having him in summer league and you know within a week or two after the draft going to las vegas and getting to see him play and 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 go from there so we'll be back um in late july as far as the black and blue report is concerned but maybe we'll be back after free agency is concerned which starts on july 1st but until then keep an eye out on jim's work on pelicans.com in the mobile app Make sure you follow him on Twitter. Is it at Jim underscore I can offer? Yes, it is. All right. You can follow me at D Salerson. And of course, follow at Pelicans NBA for everything NBA draft related. It should be fun. Lots of trades might go down. But then also sometimes we talk about how active this draft might be. And then there are no trades that happen. So either way, definitely should tune in and we'll see what the Pelicans do at pick number 40. Big thanks to Joel Myers and for Jim I can offer on Pelicans.com. I'm Daniel Salerson. Enjoy the draft tonight, and thanks for listening to this special edition of the Black and Blue Report.